being cautioned, getting a criminal record of 15 for, for petty crime, up to no good. What were you doing? Uh, I was drinking, drunk and disordered. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, ashamed, I'm ashamed to say. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. But what it did teach me was a great lesson. Um, and I, you know, I can remember very clearly, I was on the park one night, mouthing off to a police officer, um, thinking I was a bit of a jack the lad in front of my friends. And then 12 hours later, I'm sat in a police cell, 15 years old, on my 15th birthday. And I, I remember crying my eyes out at three o'clock in the morning, sobered up oh. thinking, what am I doing here? But I remember also making a pledge to myself that day that saying that, never want to end up in one of these places ever again yeah. uh, and, I, and you know touch wood I never will and I haven't done so far um, but I, 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 th I think that was probably the first real lesson I learned because it was from there I, I realized that I didn't want to be in that life uh, the life that I would have very easily slipped into as did a lot of family members cousins and things um, and my father was in the, the Royal Marines he had a, a career in the Royal Marines and he, you know he didn't sort of force me or even pressure me in any way he just said maybe look at the military and I I was terrible at school as well. You know, I was I was a sports person. I played football, athletics, you know, cricket, basketball. And as long as I was doing something sporty, I really didn't care for anything academic or academia. Um, and that was probably a reflection of me not getting any GCSEs at the time, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But that's not, you know, academia isn't for everyone. And I think no, it everyone's isn't. pushed that way, aren't they? They are, but, but it is, imp it is important. Um, and I want to, you know, I, I, ironically, I go into schools every day of the week now and I tell people how important it is to, to not that academia is important, but, but giving 110% in anything you do yeah. and actually yeah. taking the opportunities that are presented to you. And I think when, you, when I've travelled the world and seen in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, that children don't even get education, it made me realise later in life that I was very lucky to be presented with the opportunities of teachers who wanted to help me develop and grow. With the Somali pirate boarding our ship was, was a couple of years later, but my first job was certainly getting on, but it was a phone call one day from a, a, a Royal Marine friend of mine who'd just left, and he said, Jordan, uh, we need an extra guy to jump on this ship. Um, it's armed security, we're protecting. Right, so you went straight, you went Literally, into armed security. Yeah, straight point. away, it was, it was an opportunity. And it was, when you're in the military and you see all these privateers who are, doing these jobs that look really cool, really sexy, and they're getting paid loads of money for it. Um, I, you know, it was sort of like looking at it like it was a James Bond-type lifestyle. Well, you sound like a James Bond. I <laughs> no, mean, the stuff no, that I've been reading about you, I mean, you literally in this kidnap situation, and you actually, it, it was down to you that, that you know, that you, yeah, like I, I think, saved the crew. Yeah, it was, we, I, I'd done up and down the Somali coast for a couple of years, uh, protecting ships from pirate attacks. And a lot of people don't realise that 95% of world trade is still done on the ocean. So, you know, the, the, the coffee we drink, the, 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 the clothing we wear, the electronics in our homes, the phones, the wine, it's all coming on a ship at some point in its, yeah. in its life cycle. And for me, it was quite fascinating because these people who, who, who um, control these ships and crew these ships, they're sort of unsung heroes of society because we just take for granted that our food's going to be on the table or in the supermarket. We don't, really we don't even it, think that, that all the oil, the gas, the energy in yeah. the world is coming across the ocean. But it's only when you sort of go there firsthand and see these incredible people who work at sea for 10 out of 12 months a year mm. are bringing us our goods every day. Um, and the only reason they can do that is if they're being protected because they've got to get there securely. And our job was literally to, to be an armed security lookout and pirates were, were hijacking these ships and... You know, to give you some sort of uh, scale of context, mm. in 2011, uh, in July 2011, there was more than a thousand seafarers, so people who work on the ships, held hostage by pirates, and more than 40 big commercial tankers held in captivity in Somali ports. Um, and yeah, as I say, our job was to, to protect those crews, the cargo, uh, the ship itself. 
And then unfortunately on, on one occasion, um, I, as I was the security team leader and uh, the, the security company said, Jordan, we need you to take this, this vessel down to Somalia. Um, and we were doing it for the World Food Programme. So we were literally delivering uh, international aid. So rice oh, wow. and grain. Wow, so it was aid as well. Yeah, it was, it, it wasn't like the coffee that you drink. No, no, now. it was, it was, it was yeah, it was for people. To, yeah. You know, there was Need a, a famine crisis yeah. in Somalia. And unfortunately, we weren't allowed to carry weapons on this particular job because every ship in the world has a flag on the back of it. And where, whatever flag that is means the laws of that land are applicable to that ship. So every ship is like a bit of territory or a bit of that country floating around the ocean. And the same laws apply like they would, you know, you can't walk through the streets of London with a gun. So you can't stand on a British flag ship yeah. with a gun in your pocket. Yeah. Um, so we took a job, me and my, my security so team. So you'd been American, eh? Yeah, machine gun. Um, so we, we took this job and we knew it was risky. Um, and obviously our pay was reflected in that. And we took it down to Somalia and the, and the idea was we would be there for a couple of hours. We would drop off the cargo and then we would shoot across the Indian Ocean and, and get out of the, the sort of danger zone. Um, but unfortunately, as with international logistics and shipping, delays happen, which is, is quite common. Uh, and what should have been a few hours became a day, became days, became a week and so forth. And, and we were hit by the pirates. And I can remember very clearly my, my two IC, my second in command, who was on the bridge, the sort of command station of the ship. And he said... I was in my cabin and he got on the radio and he said, Jordan, get up to the bridge now. We've got armed pirates climbing on board the ship. And as you can, you can imagine what I thought at that point. Um, so ran up to the bridge uh, and, and, you know, he, I saw exactly what he had described. And um, so obviously that was where we earn our money as a security team. We have to I mean, manage. Do you this. live for that moment? Is there a bit of a... No, absolutely not. No, I'm not looking it's for that so, moment. I'm so it's not like, it's like, it's no. like you're going shark diving and you see your first shark. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, you know, as a security professional, uh, the, the misconception is, yeah, we live for that. We don't, we're trying to avoid trouble at all costs. Mm. You know, we're, we're there to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Um, so, you know, we, we try and manage the risk accordingly. But in this situation, the drill is or the procedure is, is that we, a bit like a fire drill, you would get everybody in a safe location and you account for everybody and muster the crew together. And then you would wait for somebody to come and support you or rescue you. Um, in this case, the special forces in the region uh, or the Navy. And so what we did is we went down to what we call a citadel, which is a safe room or a panic room um, in, the, in the bottom right in the depths of the engine room of the ship. We secured ourselves in behind lots of wow, metal barriers. <laughs> and we were we were in there, and as you can imagine, it's it's very heated. People are stressed. People think they're going to die, yeah. um, and 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 there was a lot of emotion. We disabled the engines. The, we turned off all the lights to try and confuse the pirates. But we always knew that the pirates were trying to find us and get their way to us, so they could kidnap and and have this hostage scenario yeah. where they would be um, then be able to ransom us for for a fee. Um, and obviously, as a security team, ex-British military, we'd be the prime target, you know, because we'd be a lot higher value as a Western mm. former military target. Um, and it was a mis mixed nationality crew, lots of different nationalities in that crew of about 22 people. And my, you know, I, I got down there, we accounted for everybody. The captain was saying, okay, Jordan, what are we going to do now? Uh, and so the job for me was then to call in a rescue. So I went to the satellite phone um, in the Citadel and unfortunately it didn't work a bit like on our mobile phones. There was no signal. We're in a black spot in the ocean. Damn. <laughs> yeah, all this. And we tested that phone every day as well. So it was, it was sod's law really, you know, that that it oh. didn't work when we needed it to. Um, and to be very honest, that the satellite phone and the Just rescue... Just imagine the scene of you going, can you get it, can you get <laughs> yeah, so it? Literally, literally what it was like. And, and as you can imagine, that was, that was the plan B. There wasn't a plan C, D and E. The plan B is we go to the, the safe room, the Citadel, and we call in a rescue and we wait for the rescue. 
Um, so we're in there. We've got no communications with the outside world. And unfortunately, if you can't tell anyone you're there, nobody's coming to rescue you. And at the same time, pirates are trying to make progress mm. to find you. So the clock is always ticking. And, and the pirates know that because the pirates know that as soon as they get on that vessel, we've probably called a rescue. So their time is ticking as yeah. well. So they're yeah. working as fast and as hard as they can sort of tactically. Um, and I had some really heated debates with the captain because when you're in the safe room, the Citadel, you don't leave the Citadel because what we have then is a potential hostage situation. If, mm. if I'd leave the Citadel, the pirates get hold of me. They put a gun to my head and they say, everybody come out now, yeah. he's getting the yeah. good news. Um, so, and, and also, if there was a hostage situation, the special forces would never board our vessel to try and rescue us because they know that someone would probably get killed. You know, the movies shows yeah, us that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so the problem was, is there was what do we do? And I, I had to say to the captain, I said, sir, you know, I need to take that phone and I need to go outside and, 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 and leave the Citadel. And, and of course, he was very anti this idea. He, he told me what he thought in, in a quite an aggressive <laughs> manner. Uh, but I also sort of tried to hold my ground and say, yeah, but there is no plan C, D and E now. We've, if we don't do this, the light is we will die in here because the pirates are on board. We've got no food. We've got no water left. And who um, was the most senior in that situation? The captain. The, the, the captain's captain, still yeah. the most yeah, senior. Yeah, he's the boss on the yeah. ship. Um, we're just, a, even as the team leader, I'm only a consultant advisor. I tell him the best, best practice. But obviously, the captain hasn't been in hostile environments you know i spent 20 years yeah. in in places like iraq and, and so on where you know people are being shot at people have been killed and i think all that sort of experience allows you to make calculated decisions based on on the risks and the threats and for me i said for me i, I had to leave that citadel because there was no other way we were going to get rescued mm. um, and in the end we we come to after a, a heated debate uh, and also one of my own teammates who was former british military he didn't want me to leave the citadel as well so, you know, one of them was supporting me and one of them was against. So, but it, it, was, it was really tough and really stressful. And, and one of the, you know, probably definitely the, the scariest moment or, or the most nervous or apprehensive moment of my life because I, I was going into the unknown. And I think, you know, we, we, what, that, that's quite... What made you make that decision that you wanted to put your life for everybody else? Because I guess you could have just sat there and thought, okay, I'm going to see this through like everybody else. But you're actually, you're stepping up to the mark and saying... We can't. We can't just sit here and do nothing. What What was that? What I don't know. I think. You... I think you. You know. I was a team leader, so my position. I was. I was. I took responsibility for. I, I believed I had the experience. I think you can only. I think there are lots of times in life when you can break the rules. You know. I think if we look at all the the pioneers of society, the the entrepreneurs, the game changers, mm -hmm. yeah. the, the Steve Jobs, yeah. the Bransons. These are all people, yeah. yeah, the yeah, disruptors. These are all people who have gone against the grain, gone in a different direction yeah. when, when society conforms to this way and they've gone a different way. And I think that is often where you find opportunity where, where the magic happens. But you can only do that if you've got the experience. Otherwise, it becomes reckless. Um, and I, I felt I had the experience to make that decision. I also knew that I had a, a daughter at home that I wanted to see again. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so for me, I wasn't going to die on that ship. And I certainly wasn't i was going to try my best to make sure we all went home safely because that was my job and you know that was that was what i'd been trained to do i find that for me you know i was diagnosed with um severe depression chronic anxiety and for me it's never been about the bombs and the bullets and and the, the hardships of conflict and war for me that's been about the stuff that happens to all of us in everyday life relationship breaks down uh, not seeing my my daughter or family enough um, i think they're the real challenges that, that a lot of people have um uh, for me personally, uh, I find that running is a great way to deal with mental health, not just running, but exercise, yeah. you know, going for a walk in the park. We've got these incredible, beautiful, uh, natural 
um, national parks all around Richmond us. Park. Richmond Park. I was there Park. this morning walking. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like my uh, meditation zone. And that's what I mean. And I think a bit of running, a bit of light exercise, walking every day, even if it's just 30 minutes or so, is so good for, for the mind, for the soul. And I knew that running was good, but I wanted to push running to the next level. And, and actually me going to these countries for a few weeks or a few months is not much in, in relation to children who live there every day in fear of their life. Um, so I think also it's about shining a spotlight on the problem. Yeah. So as well as fundraising and raising awareness, we need to, to show people what the problem is, which is when I did the rowing, the world first row, that was about showing people the problem of Yemen, which is why I rode to Yemen and back. And so this is just, just touching on that, well not touching on that, this is just the challenge that you've just done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you rode the most dangerous strait of water basically on the planet. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, you know, it, it, it was a bit of a crazy, crazy idea, I guess, in, in, in some respects from the outside. But again, it was, it was about shining a spotlight on this incredible humanitarian crisis in Yemen, where there's hundreds, thousands of children dying every year mm. um, from conflict and war. And for me, I want, again, to get the coverage you need, you need to do things that uh, attract significant attention and a world first. World first are hard to find in this day and age because a lot of people have done a lot of things. And normally, if it's, not been done. <laughs> if it's not been done, there's normally a good reason why it's not yeah. been done, which was obviously the case in this one. But again, it was about showing people that you can achieve anything as well, because also at the same time, I'd never rowed a boat in my life before the 1st of January. So I trained with... You've never... So no, never rowed. Literally, you're getting in there yeah. and presumably these are the most dangerous straights. You're going to have to row pretty fast. Well, I, tra I, I trained for 10 <laughs> months with um, a gentleman called Alex Gregory, who was a double Olympic gold champion rower in Rio and London 2012-2016. And he got me in the shape. And I think even he couldn't believe when I got in the boat and I'd never rowed and I was getting in the wrong way around and that. He was like... Yeah. It was over there with? and over there. <laughs> Going around in circles. Um, but... I, again, I had an incredible team. Yes, I did the road, but I had an incredible team of support, training, logistics, communications, insurance, lots of people contributed. And, and again, as we say, you can't do anything great alone. And that was a huge team effort by a lot of people. Um, and it was just me, me who went and did the road. I, I genuinely believe that social media is probably responsible, accountable for a lot of the mental health issues Absolutely. in young people. I think things like you know even even when we post a photo these days it has to go through five six filters before we put the actual picture on um it's it's incredible so so we're always we live in a world where we're constantly comparing it's real, ourselves right? well it's not it's real not it's real. it's a fantasy world yeah. um i always think social media is like a showreel of highlights of people's lives you know because we only show the best bits and we we don't show the the the, the bad days as such or so, so I, I, for me, you know, my big passion is to inspire the next generation, and I'm fearful that that, that we're not getting it right. I, I, I think this this celebrity culture that, that that is coming about now, where people are famous for being famous, they've not even done anything. You know, when I go and talk in assemblies in schools, and people tell me, "What do you want to do when you're older?" and they say, "I want to be an Insta model. I want to be famous. I want to be a celebrity." And I'm be like, on TV. "Yeah, I want to be well, on TV." Well, I'll be YouTube now, not yeah, yeah. yeah. But but it, but that's yeah. what I mean. We, and I think I think there's this culture now where. We've got these influencers who have got millions of followers, but it comes with no responsibility. And I think if you are an influencer in any sector, you you need to be accountable for what you post, your actions, because a lot of people, whether you like it or not, are looking up to you. So you need to be sending out positive messages, encouraging, inspiring, motivating, um, not, you know, what's going on on Love Island or with respect, <laughs> with respect to the Love Islanders. Yeah. But you know what I mean? You know, I, I, I think we, we need more role models for the right reasons. Um, because it, it concerns me and it scares me actually um, of, of where, where the world's going in that context. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. 
So hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.